Welcome to Coaching the Coach. I'm your host, Coach KP, and with me is my willing accomplice, Coach JC. Hey, JC, how you we're doing, gonna have man? A, I'm doing awesome, man. We're gonna have a great show. Um, he's a dear friend of mine. He um, he's that guy who you, you never would realize um, he was able to accomplish so many things. I mean, he, he's he literally he, he's a plastic surgeon who travels the globe. Um, healing uh, and fixing young children, uh, specifically specializes in cleft lips and cleft mouths. I don't even know. He'll tell you all about it. But um, he works close with a military organization, um, a military nonprofit, Team 5 Foundation. Um, he also owns a couple patents, if I'm not mistaken, in regards to tourniquets being placed in clothing. Um and he played Baylor football back okay. in 19, like 22, I think it was. So I like already that. know I mean, that. I, it was, I it think, was like we had to run the dinosaurs off the field. So I, I, I think we already have a couple of different connections here because I think I, I, I was a test subject for some of that clothing that had the tourniquets in it. Uh, when I was in the asymmetric warfare group, we got yeah, AWG got them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got those. And I, I actually still have, I could probably run, in two minutes, I could run into the other room and go pull my shirt out because I still have the the top that has the tourniquet in it. The pants were too tight, and then uh, and then I'm good friends with Griff. Yeah, so Griff's a great guy. Griff is, in fact, one of my dear I'm, friends. He was just down at the house. Yeah. So so Griff and I are both Aspen fellows. Okay. So Griff, uh, I'm a Liberty fellow and Griff is a Henry crown fellow. So, um, and he got into it because I introduced him to somebody. So we have a couple of connections there. Baylor. Hold I, on, I hold on, hold on. Speaking about, speaking about introductions. Hey, there goes introductions, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Keith Rose, everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, nothing special. Well, so maybe yeah. that short bus type special, but actually, um, <laughs> I, I would beg to disagree because you are special. You're definitely special to me, my family. Um, you and I have been through quite a bit when you were doing humanitarian work um, overseas. Uh, you and I had some very unique encounters where we worked with one another, helping one another out. And um, you are by far through and through um, a brother of mine. And I don't say that lightly, as you know. Um, and you have probably the most amazing wife in the world. You got a beautiful. Yeah, family. that that's that's true. Yeah. I, I, I married so far over my head, I can't see it. Dude, your household's like the Brady Bunch, though, because you got like what two hundred and twenty nine kids <laughs> or something I, at this point. I, I, I'm still learning their names, so don't don't. Get, I mean, you know, it's like I get home and then I, you know when you're tired, you're like Jacob, Daniel, Ryan, just you get go go. You know, no. yeah. But but, um, but the biggest adventure that you just undertook was um, you started your own podcast, and it was, if I'm not mistaken, I did some research on this, it was the fastest podcast to launch and be picked up by iHeartRadio podcast. Um, that's my understanding. Yeah. I, I don't know a lot about podcasting other than I got a good producer, and he said, do this, and so yeah. I just followed orders. But yeah. um, we're having fun with it. We don't have a website. We've done zero marketing, but... I've got a new producer coming on. I love knives. He's still going to be around, but we got a guy that's pretty high speed and he's, he wants to, he said, you got to have a place for people to go. You know, not, they don't yeah. need to go to the internet. 
you don't want your internet as your home. You need your home on the internet. And so um, we're working on that, but I basically do it. So my head doesn't explode every day when I go. <laughs> well, um, it's my own therapy enough. with myself, you know, Right. Interestingly enough, uh, the podcast is called The Scapel with Dr. Keith, Keith Rose. Very fitting, considering you're a doctor and you play with scapels a lot. Uh, but what's really cool, JC, who is our sponsor for this uh, show? Well, the, the, the people that you, you get to bones, you get Z-bones. these cool Z-bones. Z-bones, they get the whole thing. But see, now two of us have the big headphones on. He's got a bigger microphone than I have. I won't even talk about maybe compensating but, for but, it. But what's my interesting kids stole is... my Z-Bones. That's the problem. <laughs> They're oh. awesome. And my 15-year-old Daniel's like, Dad, can I use your headsets? And I'm like, sure. And the other day I realized he hadn't got it back to me yet. So, uh, <laughs> he, just like, he goes, no, these are sick, man. I can wear them. They look awesome. No one else has them at school. So I'm kind of like unique. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a great – he's like 6'4 now. He's 15. So, oh well that's so he's a little yeah. guy but his, yeah, show, but his brain's not six four just his body yeah so uh, <laughs> but but your show your podcast is also one of your sponsored sponsors, by z-bones so one we have the same sponsor yep yeah there's a lot of uniqueness uh tied with the three of us right now so anyway keith one of the reasons why i wanted to get you on um this show is as a humanitarian who has traveled the world um normally we think of counterinsurgency operations, we, we normally think military CIA. Very rarely do we talk about non-government organizations like Team 5 Foundation. Very rarely do we talk about the, um, the humanitarian initiatives when it comes to counterinsurgency operations. And very rarely do most, to include the military, by the way, um, give the respect to the NGOs with the knowledge that they have because um, let's face it, they they were they were dependent upon intelligence, maybe not in the official capacity that the U.S. government utilizes it, but they can't survive without intelligence. They can't survive without understanding the human terrain and so forth. Um, and, and you, in in a very unique way, have mastered um, counterinsurgency operations, propaganda, um, identifying propaganda, information operations, and so forth. And you were able to do this all through your, your work as a doctor, um, traveling the globe with Team 5 Foundation. Uh, I think it was Cure was one of the other ones you worked with and all these other people. Um, and because of that, and this is where we're going back into the Coach and the Coach show, is I have this belief and I asked JC what he thought before we even decide to have this, this episode that sports across America right now is being saturated by a ton of propaganda, which consists of misinformation and disinformation. And to a degree, I, I believe there is an intent behind that propaganda. And that intent is an attempt to cripple male dominated sports where there's more inclusion uh, with females and males, which, hey, whatever, um, but also to help promote, economically promote one sport over another. And we're going to get into details with that. Um, but before you say anything, I want JC, because he's the one that said, you know what, I have thought about this. And JC's, JC coaches professional lacrosse in New York. 
So before you give me your insight, knowing that you do have a good rap on all this, I want to hear what JC has to say, just so it can help bridge what, what we're going to be really revealing here. JC, thoughts? Yeah, look, so, so we know for a fact that um, when you do studies, and, and countless studies have, have been done, but I'll just tell you anecdotally, right? I have a son, I have two sons who play football and lacrosse. I have a daughter who played collegiate lacrosse, but when she was a high school athlete, she played um, field hockey, uh, girls lacrosse, boys lacrosse, and her senior year, she decided to be a cheerleader. She was injured. She had more head injuries as a cheerleader than either of my boys combined have had in football and lacrosse. Right. However, when I do that Google search on most head injuries, it's going to tell me that football has the most head injuries of anything. And having been uh, privileged to be at a couple of meetings with the NFL, the NFL has gone to a place now where they're changing the rules. Now, now look, I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, technique has changed, right, from the time when you and I played ball, when we all played ball, yeah. right? Tackling was, was, was a fundamental. Now it's – I'm a really big guy. I can go a lot faster, but I hurl my body at another person as opposed to fundamental tackling. But now we're going to change the rules to a sport that – because of some some information and 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 I'm not I'm not comfortable because look I if we if we use the fundamentals of tackling kids don't get hurt if we right. don't have to do if we don't have to do Oklahoma drills eight times a week you know we're and 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 programs are getting better at that but absolutely I think that there's an issue here where we're we're seeing um kind of this this and i'm okay with inclusion but it's not about inclusion it's about softening what we know to to make uh young people men and women more resilient and i yeah. want to be safe i don't want my kids to have the same problems i do because of my concussions but i also don't want to make them you know wrap them in bubble wrap so that they can't take you know, kind of what, what life comes at them. So that, those are kind of the things that we've been talking about. Sure. Now, Keith, um, I know you played um, at a Division One level at Baylor. And by the way, that's when Baylor went like super, super far. That's, this is how long ago he played. Yeah, it's so long. We went <laughs> it was like three bowls. Three bowls yeah, yeah. Yeah. Th yeah, three and four years. Amazing. That was 1922, I think. Anyway, but but you have possibly, but but you have young boys um, who play football right now, uh, specifically in Texas, and we're not going to say anywhere other than in Texas. But you have to have, um, from a player point of view, to a father's point of view, that. It, it's truly an amazing um, shift in the way how the sport has evolved and because it has evolved and JC, you, you pretty much explained part of that. It is through speed, you know, size and lacking fundamental techniques, blah, blah, blah. But, but Keith, I want to, I want to know where, where do you stand on, on this 
let's just call it for right now until we narrow it down a conspiracy theory that they're trying to destroy the sport. Well, I think you have to, I agree with what JC said, but I think I look back to when I first started playing, I started playing in the third grade football. Now I didn't push my kids to start playing till they came to me and said, Hey, I want to play football. And when they started, they had something here in Texas called year round football, which I don't think is the best idea. It's because it beats crap out of their bodies. But what I'm seeing, and I've watched the coaches, you know, I have two 15-year-olds that are both playing. One's 6'4", the other's 6'3", and they're, they're solid players. One just broke his foot. He's going to be out a little bit. But when I was growing up and playing football, the quickest way to get hurt in football is to be careful, is to play at anything but full speed. That's what we were taught. And I got to tell you, I – I grew up in Plano, Texas, back when Plano wasn't, you know, 12 million people. We had one high school. And so you had 300 guys go out for the football team. I didn't play varsity until my senior year. Right. In fact, I was JV. I'd been hurt my sophomore year. And I went through a lot of adversity. I mean, so when I didn't, you know, everyone was getting letters from the colleges. I was just hoping to start in high school. And then by God's grace, I had a good year. But to me, playing football was a joy. It was like you go out there with reckless abandon. I went out there to knock the living snot out of every person I played against. But the cool thing was at the end of the game, we were all friends. But you went out there, there wasn't any pulling of punches. There wasn't any playing less aggressive. And then when I was recruited by several colleges and I signed with Baylor, it was a time when Corky Nelson had just left. You had a guy by the name of Pete Fredenberg, who was there with Coach Grant Tapp. Pete was in charge of the defense. Pete just won his third national championship in D3, coaching at Mary Harden Baylor. He's a genius coach. But Pete was arguably one of the toughest people I have ever been around. And he basically, I mean, I'm a, I'm a freshman now. I was 6'3", maybe 220 pounds soaking wet. I ran a 4'5". So they started me out at outside linebacker. But so I'm playing outside linebacker. And I remember my first day of actual scrimmage out in college and high school, you think is fast college when you're a freshman is plays happen at the speed of light. And I got a crackback block from a guy probably most people don't remember by the name of Gerald McNeil. He ended up being an all pro at Cleveland Browns. They called him the ice pick. He weighed maybe 142 pounds soaking wet. He ran a four two. And he was an amazing athlete. He hit me so hard, I thought I would never recover. And I remember just being almost knocked out by him. And the next play, Mark Addicts, who ended up being all pro for the Washington Redskins at tackle, I was on a stunt. I went in there. Mark grabbed me like a rag doll, lifted me over his head and body slammed me. And he leaned down and he said, welcome to the Southwest Conference. <laughs> and, and I remember literally thinking in my mind, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? I mean, I can't afford this college. This is my scholarship. And so I was really feeling like I'm getting my butt kicked and I'm not lying to you. During that week, Fredberg saw me and then we're in films and he goes, you know what? Today is Keith Rose day. I mean, my heart became petrified and he, he just said, I want everyone to hit him harder than everything. They would line me up and made me go one-on-one to literally, I just couldn't stand anymore against everyone on the team. And then I got a, a couple days like that. And what it taught me was don't quit. 
it taught me to look inside myself and go, I did, I did things I didn't know I could do. Honestly, mm -hmm. physically, I did not know I could stand up emotionally and mentally. There was no safe space. In fact, he saw me getting my butt kicked instead of saying, hang in there. He did. He made it harder and harder, but then one day it stopped. Right. And you know, my first year I was redshirted. My second year I played special teams by my third year, my, you know, so my first year of playing, I was special teams. By my sophomore year, I was rotating in, and I started my last two years. I never got over, you know, 235, 240 pounds, but I started at defensive end because I realized there was nothing I couldn't do, no one I couldn't hit hard, no matter how big they were. Now, that wasn't because of me. That was because of a coach that saw me getting butt hurt and decided, I'm going to crack this egg and get him out of here. And I wasn't unique in that. He did others. And I think we, we, we do a disservice because I think football is a breeding ground for kids to understand what they have. All sports are to be pushed, to be tired and to be encouraged. I mean, I had epic failures in football where I thought I would never mount to anything. And you, you make a decision in your heart. Am I going to work at it? Am I going to sacrifice? Am I going to go to the weight room more? Am I going to do the drills? Am I going to, and then I still was pre-med. So I still had to go and study after all this. Right, and, right. and then the coach told me, you're not going to do this. You know, you're not going to make it. So what I see happening, just to segue into what we're seeing now with kids are, you know, we won a trophy. My, when I played peewee football in sixth grade, we played our last game in the snow. We were undefeated and we got beaten by a kid who had a running back that looked like he shaved, you know? And so we got a second place trophy. That's the only trophy I got ever in football. My kids played, they lost every game the first year they played and they all got trophies. And my kids got home and literally, I didn't say anything. They literally walked over the trash can before they went in the house and just threw the trophies away. They go, we didn't earn it. And I think the greatest thing about football is not just winning, but it's learning that even if you don't win, you give it everything. You learn to rely on the guy to your right and left. You learn to push yourselves harder than everything. You learn what you're capable of, but you also learn what you could possibly do. And I think that when we take that away from kids, what you're taking away is something drive. And you're telling them you're making everyone the same. The guy that sits on his butt drinking Kool-Aid got the same trophy that my kids did that were just working their butts off. And I think that that's detrimental. And that starts to dumb down. And when you try to homogenize a sport, sports are not designed for everyone to win. They're designed for everyone to compete. I mean, remember the old thrill of victory, the agony of defeat from, you know, the world of sports? We don't have the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. We just say competition for competition's sake, and I don't believe that's what it's there for. Well, it's funny that you said that, too, because um, I, I've been coaching in my local area, football. This year was the first year that I coached football, um, and I coached actually two teams, two different age groups. And never once did I see a kid cry because they lost or because they lost by a lot. By the way, neither team won a game this year, okay? But this is when the kids would cry. They miss a tackle. And they are scared to death that the coach is going to get in their butt. They're scared to death that a parent is going to get into their butt. They, they literally are living in fear more than they are living in the moment of, wait a second, I have an opportunity to be something bigger and better than myself because I'm working as a team here, it's okay that I miss a tackle because I made that running back 
cut back inside so my linebackers could get him. You know, like they, they don't understand the fundamental premise behind the team concept. And what's alarming to me is, while I will never say I was afraid of a coach, I respected my coaches and I was motivated because I respected them so much to get back up on my own two feet and immediately try to never mess up a play like that again. Well, I think that's today's kids, thing, today's kids aren't doing that though. A yeah, I think they need kids. to be yelled at. I, I, I look, I think that that's the best thing you can do for a kid is to go, Hey, you missed that block. This guy got creamed. You know, I mean, I can't, I remember, you know, my, you could hear him up in the stands and Rose, you look like a one-legged man at a butt kicking contest, you know, just <laughs> abusing me. And, right. and, and I was like, you know what? They're right. And the thing was, I didn't, when I came to the sideline and I knew I screwed up, I knew I was going to get my helmet grabbed. Coach was going to get right up on my grill and he was going to yell at me. And you know what? That was cool. My parents expected it. They never, I didn't yeah. see, there was never a parent that said, you know, you were a little hard on my kid or anything you know, like that. No, no, but, but here, here's the thing that I see a lot. And I watched it at a collegiate practice not too long ago. Um, I was asked to come in and evaluate uh, a, a division one program. And, and I'm going to tell you something that I saw something that, that it goes beyond that. Right. So I get no problem with yelling at a kid to, to, to get in his ass, to get them going. Um, but when I see coaches, even a division one power, you know, big five conference start degrading their athletes, calling them names that I certainly wasn't allowed to call in, in, in basic training. I couldn't call a soldier that. And, and they're saying these things to these young men. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how does that making them any better? Cause in my mind, a coach, look, if you're going to yell at a kid and you can yell at my kid all day long, I I'm totally cool with that. You know, I've got, like I said, I have, I have one kid who plays in a, in a big five division one program. And I have a, a, a kid who's a freshman who's playing football and my daughter who, who played, who just graduated and played collegiate lacrosse. Go ahead, get in my kid's butt. Whether they deserve it sometimes when they don't deserve it, I'm okay with that. But when you degrade them or you don't give them instruction, right? A coach is there not just to yell at you, but to make you better. You can yell at them all you want, but if you ain't making them better, don't yell at my kid. And Absolutely. all I ask I, is that you make them better. Well, I agree. And I think that, you know, I, I talked to one of my – I still stay in touch with my college coaches. I mean, they still call me. And my strength coach, because there's a special – in college, there's a special bond you have between your strength coach. And ours was a former recon Marine from Vietnam who believed he was a reincarnated Sioux Indian. So it was a fascinating guy. He's the one that kept <laughs> us going in, a, in 110 degree heat in, in Waco, Texas, in a, in, a, in a turf field. He would come out in this big buffalo robe and have the headdress on. And the coaches would all be standing off to the side. We'd be stretching. It'd be two days. We'd be just hating life. He would turn to us, open the buffalo robe, and have nothing on underneath. And we would <laughs> laugh so hard, and he would lift us up. And I agree with what you're saying about coaches. A good coach – knows when to apply the stick to motivate you, but he also knew when to I, my coaches, as much as they got on me would also go good job. And it meant something. It, they don't yell at you for nothing and they compliment you when you actually do something good. I mean, that's, 
that was that was highly motivational but i couldn't agree more with you that one they never degraded me as a person they never attacked my character they attacked my actions that's it on the field they that's attacked it. and they go look the they separated the, the actions yep. from me as a person yep. and they that's would say it. hey you didn't get that block and that caused this now and they would always say a lot of them would say i know you're better than that so go out and show me you know they never went and said you know, and I think, and I've seen this in my, I don't say anything, like my older son, when he was playing high school, the coach would get frustrated with his game plan and start launching into the kids. And yeah. kids know that. They can see it. And I think, you know, I thank God we have coaches out there that take the time. But I got to tell you, I mean, this is just me personally. If you're going to coach kids in an athletic program, my coaches have always been in shape. They didn't have to be in perfect shape. But they weren't a bunch of guys that were should have been, you know, you know, who could barely walk and, and breathe. And and I'm not seeing that today. And how are you going to motivate kids when you? I'm not saying you need to be rock hard shape, but come on, yeah. show them that you care about yourself enough. And I and I mean, I'm just saying, sports are not designed to be a safe space. Sports are an arena to compete in. You're going to have a winner. You're going to have a loser. And a good coach will teach you whether you win or lose. They're not going to degrade you as a person. They're going to lift you up based on your abilities. And some good coaches look at you and go, Hey man, this is not for you. Yeah. yeah. And, and some and of those is... kids stayed, even the guys that we called the scrubs, the nugs that were on the, they go, I know I'm never going to play, but I still want to be here part of the team. And I, I had tons of respect for those guys. We love those guys and they gave it their all every practice. So, and the coaches loved them too. But what I see today in sports is we are trying to emasculate across the board in society to take, you know, the dominant role. I mean, look, football is about dominating the other team. Lacrosse, same way. It's not, you know, I, I, I know we have concussions, but no one really talked about that when I was playing. I mean, you just played, you got your quote bell rung, you got stingers. And I, and I, you know, I have my thoughts on all of that, but I think we over analyze some of this stuff and it's, we get paralysis through so much analysis that people are more looking to have an injury. And when you go half speed, that's when you get hurt in football. Yeah. I mean, have good technique, but you can't slow it down. I got a question for you, though, because you bring yeah, up see, an interesting can, can, point. Can you hold it real quick? Can you hold Absolutely. it real quick? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the theme of this specific episode is about counterinsurgency and sports. Oh, yeah, we're, we're moving off of that. Yeah. But, and we are. We're <laughs> moving pretty far. But I got something to say on that, too. So No, but there is there, – this is a perfect time to, to – bring us back because everything we're talking about right now, a lot of American adults are constantly being groomed via mainstream media, social media, and through amongst their peers about how we now are supposed to parent, how we are now supposed to raise our children, how you need to read this book about kitchen soup for parenting or whatever the heck you want to call it, all right? So when you are coaching these young kids, no matter the sport, team sport, but when you're coaching them, now you're dealing with, in a very unique way, an insurgency. Because you have parents that believe what everybody else told them about how you have to raise a kid and about parenting and about, hey, you can't talk to my kid this way. Hey, you, you, you have to be kind and gentle and hug him and love him and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, wait a second. Hold on. As a coach, I have 
three entities that I'm responsible for. Number one, my coaching staff, my players, and my fans on my side of the, of the ball field. They're, they're my three main key, key categories. And with those three, I have an obligation not to ensure your kid has fun because that's not what we're here for. We want to believe it's part of having fun, but the real goal behind what we're here for is to give them structure, to give them discipline, to understand teamwork, to teach them life skills. There's like a whole big collaborate of things in this bubble that we're here for as coaches. And yes, we want them to have fun, but that's a secondary third effect. Sorry, but winning is uh, great. Losing sucks. I don't care who you are. I have a four-year-old kid on my little flag football team. I asked him, I said, do you guys like to win or do you like to lose? And this little kid raised his hand. He goes, coach, I hate losing. I said, do you have fun when you lose? He goes, no, I hate it. Well, I don't want to be that guy, but maybe parents need to listen to that little four-year-old boy and say to themselves, maybe he knows something that we no longer understand any longer because well, we've, been, we've been brainwashed with propaganda about raising our own kids. All right. So hold on. Cause this actually leads into my question. So that was Perfect. a great setup for this question because I was, uh, I was, I was, you know, it's so stupid. Sometimes I have these stupid like Twitter feuds and I could be feuding with somebody who's like wearing a tinfoil hat. So I'm not really sure why I bother, you know, responding to any of this stuff. But one of the things I was talking about is, is, is how you should coach in competition. And they said, competition is the nature of sport. It's about beating the other person. And I looked at, you know, as I do a lot of stuff, I looked at the, at, at what the Greeks did. And I looked at the Latin term, you know, what, what does competition, where did that come from? And it's from com and pate, which is, you know, to seek a higher standard. Okay. It's about competing, not against anybody, but yourself. That is what competition means. That is what the, what the Greeks had felt is it's about being your best self, regardless of who the, who the opponent is, which is certainly the world that we've lived in, 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 in the military and special operations. And I'd like your thoughts on, you know, and I tell parents that when I coach at the highest levels and I do clinics for the lower kids, I say, look, this isn't, I don't care. I got it. You don't care about beating the other team or winning, but I care that your kid is the best version they can be. And to do that, you got to create friction, right? You got to create hardness. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts and how do you compete? How do you, so that was my technique to bring in this, this, this idea of look, it's not about beating the other guy. It, that, that, that's not flying in today's society. It's about being your best self, which is which which does go back to the to the root. So I'm curious, how, what do you think about that? I I mean I can, well there there's it's a broad it's a broad concept when you're going across age groups. Yeah, when you're coaching kids, and I'm talking about prior to going into junior high and high school, when you got kids and you're bringing them up in football, you. Right now, I think as coaches, you want to give them the basics. You want to teach them technique. You want to teach them teamwork. You want them to be the best they can be. 
the Greeks, what you're talking about is when the Greeks coined that word back when they had the Olympics, most of the Olympic events were not team oriented. They were about being the best you can be to compete. We have a lot of countries that compete in Olympics that these folks, you know, they're the best in their country and they're being about the best selves. And I, I always support that with kids. But when you go to a team sport, you know, some kids don't want to play a team sport. That's when you encourage to go play tennis or you encourage them to go play golf. I mean, these are good sports. There, there's some, I tell them, look, this game's not for everyone because as a coach, you know, you go to a hundred thousand foot view and you can see what, what's the motivation of the kids here. Is it because his parents decided that they want them here and they're just, their heart's not in it. So I think you have to kind of read who you're dealing with and get the most out of each one of these kids while giving the most to them as far as from your experience and then you work on making them better or making them the better version of themselves. Once you get into junior high, high school, and I know college, jobs depend on winning. And they have to learn, you know, especially when you – I'm just going to do it in football. Football is not an individual sport. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to sacrifice yourself so the other guy can go in and clean the clock of the other guy. So you want them working together, and you want the best guys that you can get on the field. And, you know, sometimes I tell my kids, you know, they're playing junior high now. They, they really just play a couple of years of football. I say, one of them's on the A team, one of them's on the B team. And I say, do the best you can and make yourself better. That's your metric. Work with your teammates, make yourself better. If you get on yourself because you know you did something wrong, that's fine. I mean, you know, but my father used to tell me when you lose or you had a bad play, feel bad for a second, get over it and move forward. Because I think what we need to teach kids are not, it's not about the failure or not doing it, but what are you going to do to get better? And how are you going to use that in your life? And I think football and sports is a great opportunity for coaches to take young kids and teach them, you know what, there's winners, there's losers, but you know what, there's also a lot of guys that never quit. And later in life, just because you didn't succeed now, doesn't mean you can't build the skill set to be hugely successful later. See, and this is where I want to play the bad guy here because a part of me and obviously I'm not going to be politically correct saying this and I know that and I'm and I know I'm going to get a lot of blowback and horrible comments from people that hear what I say and I don't care when I hear it's not about winning it's about playing the best you can I, I raise my hand I raise my watch and I say bs well, you misunderstood me because I think team sports is all about winning. But I was talking it, about it is when they're young, you got to play everyone. You want them to do the best they can. But it is 100% I get that. about winning. I get that. But here's my thing. And I'm talking about young kids. A young kid has no clue how good they really are. It, it requires so many different tasks that they have to complete to pull, and you got to drive and pull it out of them. You know, um, my, it was funny, my sister of all people sent this link before NFL season started up and we were talking about something and it was, I forget the name of the show, uh, something giants. It was a movie about uh, these younger high school team playing football. Um, and the coach had this lineman basically low crawl with another yeah, kid, on his, another kid on his back. Blind. Yeah. What was it? He was blindfolded. Yeah, blindfolded. And, and he was. He was blindfolded. And it was like, you know, don't stop, don't stop. And the kid was thinking he was only going to go 10 yards or 20 yards, whatever. Well, he wound up going the full 50. 
right? And that coach did something. And that kid did something. The kid did the work. The coach pulled that work out of the kid. And, and my attitude towards people that are like, well, you know, as long as you try, as long as you try. No, no, it's not as long as you try. Because sometimes trying is not good enough in life. And sooner or later, you're going to get faced with that reality. So why don't we accept it at a very young age that sometimes trying is not enough? Sometimes you need to dig deeper. You need to find that, that gear that you never realized you had. And sometimes you got to feel pain that you never realized you could, you could endure. And, and to me, in today's society, and of course, this is showing my age how I was brought up with sports, but a part of that old school coaching mentality, as a young father with a kid in sport who I do coach, a part of me, I still embrace that. And, I'm, and I have a real hard time somebody telling me that that's the wrong approach. Because I think that all that's doing is castrating our kids. I don't think it's the wrong approach. I think that as, as coaches, you have different approaches. Different coaches do what works for them. I, I coached twice my kids in peewee football because I was definitely not the politically correct coach. And my best – and I was always an assistant coach because no one in their right mind would make me a head coach. But I, um, I would, I, I, the coach, the head coach would always ask me, what do you think? And I would say, well, I think you need to get the parents together and talk to them first and tell them, this is how I'm going to coach your kid. If you have a problem with it, you need to understand it now. Cause I don't want to have this in front of the kids. Sure. You know, there was never, there've always been, you know, helicopter parents. We, we had them, but you know, I think we do kids a disservice. I mean, we don't have field day in school anymore. I mean, I went to my kids field day when they were younger, all excited to see them compete. And they all just did like these all inclusive games. There were no ribbons, things like that. I think winning and losing is good for children. I think succeeding and failing is good. I think the greatest thing about this country is, Hey, you can fail a bunch and still succeed. And it's the coach to recognize what the kid is good at, what he's not and to work with them. I think the insurgency is when you got the parent seeing, Hey, we don't want this. You know, we're not, we're not into this. We want to do it different. I can tell you in college sports, I, I ran into a guy the other day on a plane and I recognized him and I knew he was an agent. And I remembered him from Baylor and he, you know, he was a pro agent. And I remember seeing the guy around, he looked a lot older and I asked him, you know, are you still working? He goes, yeah, but I'm getting ready to retire. And he wasn't that old. And I go, why? He goes, cause the athletes today are completely different. They all want their Instagram, you know, it's about how they're perceived. He goes, when you guys were playing, you guys just, you know, you wanted to play football because you loved the game. These guys love themselves first. And the game just gives them a platform to love themselves more. And I think as a society, we lift up the, the person instead of lifting up the sport and things like that. I mean, Tim Tebow was a great example of what to be when you play football. But I think, you know, you have a lot of guys who said, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to work with these guys because they're more interested in their social media presence than they are in actually doing the work. And that's just, you know, I was one guy, it's anecdotal, but that's kind of what sure. I was hearing. All right, JC is about to rip me a new uh, tail end right now. I already know. Go ahead, Colonel. So the first <laughs> thing I'm going to say is I, I, I coach professional athletes and I work with professional athletes, and I'll say that, 
it's very hard to get them away from me versus we, you know, get them away from me to the we. That, that is certainly something that, that coaches and guys like Ron Rivera do it very, very well. Um, you know, uh, Tony Dungy was an expert at it. You know, guys can do that. Now here, here's what I'll say about the whole winning versus losing thing. And, and, and I love you, man, but, but I kind of disagree with you on this because at the end of the day, it's a sport. It's a game. And if they lose, yeah, uh, nobody dies. Nobody goes to jail. It's not a big deal. Um, and I think that I, that I worry when we make it so important that they win because it's a game. And they do have to, they do have to understand the important things in life and the negative things in life and the, and the, and the, the interesting versus the important Right. So, hey, it's interesting that you lost the state championship and a year later, nobody knows what the score of the state championship was. I'm sorry. And if yeah, you do, and, and on, you're a loser. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it, it's I'm not saying you have to win everything. I'm saying when you're on a team as an individual, you are responsible for a specific task with a specific purpose. Uh-huh. Your job is to defeat that individual opponent in front of you for overall team success. And you're going to ha- and you're going to in a game, you're going to fight multiple battles, a uh, 100 battles. No, but no, at the no, end no, of the day, no, it's no, about no, winning no. the war. Wait, 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 wait. No, it's not. Right. Here's the deal. Look, I I I truly believe Lao Tzu had it right, right? The wise man competes with no one cuz he knows no one can compete with him. And I relate that to the Ranger Creed. I shall defeat them on the field of battle for I'm better trained and will fight with all my might. I never thought about the enemy I was facing. I knew I was going to kick the crap out of them. I never, I never ever considered I need to be better than the person. It was never even a question in my mind. The question in my mind is, am I the best Ranger that I can possibly be? Because it's already a foregone conclusion. It doesn't matter who you put on the other side of me. I'm going to whoop their butt. I'm going to get my intel. I'm going to get my intel and know, hey, just like my game plan. I'm going to get my game plan. I'm going to know what their tendencies are. I'm going to know all that. I'm going to, I'm going to plan against the most probable course of action. I'm going to prepare for the most dangerous course of action. And you know what? It, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, when I hit the ground, it doesn't matter. Because, again, I think loud too, he just had it right. That if I'm not worried about competing with that guy, I've already beaten that guy. And I think what we've done, and I see it, I see it all the time. I think about when my kids were young and they would say, like, oh, we're playing so-and-so today. Exactly. And they're really good. They beat well, themselves yeah, before they yeah. get on the field. They, they, and, you know, so a great guy, a guy named Tony Blower, who we probably should have on the show at some point. But Tony said, and, and he quotes it to somebody, he credits to somebody else, but I heard it from Tony. He said, if you're in a fight with one other person and you doubt yourself, you're already outnumbered. And all I'm saying is, kid, don't worry about who you're, who you're going against. That kid's going to be bigger than you. The kid, I don't, it doesn't matter. You be the best kid and know your job better than anyone else and it doesn't matter what, what what happens on the field is what's supposed to happen on. It'll the take field. care of itself, and we heard yep. that over and over again. And you know, in college, the coach would come in and he'd go. I mean, I've heard this from a coach staff come in and he'd go, "We lost," or Fredenberg would come in and we we lost. 
I had the wrong game plan. You guys executed. I didn't have the right plan. And I mean, I was one, I played defensive end my last two years and started. And I wasn't, you know, I'm 6'3, 235 pounds, maybe. I went against guys that were constantly bigger than me. But in my mind, it didn't always happen that way. But in my mind, I was going to whip them every single time. I, I didn't, there was no alternative to that. Then I didn't enter the game to that. And at but the what end of the gave game, you that confidence to feel that way? I didn't think anything else. You know, those practices when I first started out, and they made it, it just pushed me to a level I never thought I could be pushed. When you train, I trained. I did everything I knew in my heart that I could do to be ready for the game. I didn't enter the game. I watched more film than anybody. And we had to watch film back then. The intelligence side of that, <laughs> to me, I heard, an, I heard an agent say it once. He goes, we look for two types. There's two types of players in the NFL. Those that are just smart and they can think their way through 12 games in a season. And those that are just so naturally gifted, big and brutal that can beat their way through. I wasn't that big and brutal guy, but I was the guy that literally we had to rent film, take it to our room and watch it. And I would watch film till I fell asleep. I knew more about the guy in front of me than anyone else. And that was my responsibility. I didn't worry. I never, ever walked on the field thinking we would lose ever, ever. And when we lost, my, I just remember my dad said, feel bad and then get to work, you know, and if we lost, work harder, do this, do that. But you don't, I never felt, and I never made my kids feel bad. So I, I would always ask them, did you give it everything you had? Yes, sir. Then leave it on the field. We, that's the famous saying, leave it on the field. The insurgency today though is, and, I, and I, you can probably speak JC better to this than I can, because I'm not coaching professional athletes. It's more, people don't just want to win. It's the style points that they have. Are they interacting the right way and things like that? I never thought about that. I mean, it wasn't something in my generation and I played with, I mean, I think we had eight guys my junior year go in the first four rounds of the draft. We had a good team, but those guys were the most down to earth, normal guys in the world. I mean, no one really, I mean, I could still call them today and say, hi, you know, none of us took ourselves that seriously. And I think it comes back to a society that is trying to get people away from your core values, your core values of, you know, to me, my core values are God, you know, family, country. I mean, those are my values. My, when I was overseas, the guys I worked with, my guy on my right, the guy on my left, those are my brothers. They'll always be my brothers. But I don't think, you know, anyone ever goes into any situation, whether it's sports, whether it's into uh, a contact situation that you're thinking, man, I hope I win. You're going in knowing, I mean, it's just something that you hardwire. And in today's society, the insurgency is it's okay if you lose. It's okay to feel bad about yourself. Yeah. It's okay. And I think the biggest thing that creeps inside and destroys a young man or woman in sports is self-pity. It's feeling sorry for yourself. It's that victim status. It's saying, you know, it's okay. Not for us to go, it's okay. But for them to, them to, to bind in, well, I had this, well, I had that. I agree. Do the best you can for yourself and don't feel sorry for yourself because self-pity has brought down some of the greatest people in the world, professional athletes that become a victim. And when, you know, you don't have to be that way. I don't, I don't like to work overseas with guys that had self-pity because it's a, it's a cancer and it's a cancer that grows. And, and I think Absolutely. that's part of the insurgency. And I think that's what mainstream media tells us is that you're a victim or you're a man or a woman of color or, 
you're a disparaged against group or whatever. I just, you know, I like to identify either on a team you identify as part of the team. It's in the country, you're Americans. That that's where that ends right there. But within every insurgency, there are enablers. You talk about the individual self-pity. These there are young kids right now that are doing the self-pity dance. They're being enabled to be that way. Yet as a coach, I got to counter that. So how, what, what are the recommendations? I'm going to throw those over to JC because like, you know, I'm coaching little kids right now and, and they do the self-pity dance on the sideline. I mean, in the huddle, they're crying. And it's like, where did this come from? Why are you, nobody hollered at you? I mean, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the last games that I coached this season, I'm not kidding. I was on my knees in the huddle, and I'm holding this little boy's waist. And I'm looking at him like, buddy, I, I didn't yell. I didn't yell at you. I didn't raise my voice at you. But you're crying right now. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on in your head. But if we don't talk right here, right now, we got 10 seconds to get it out. I'm not going to figure it out. Why are you crying? And he looks at me and he's like, because I missed the play. I'm like, dude, so what? Get back on your feet. We got another play. We got to, they're about to hike the ball. Get in there. And he's like, I can't do it. Well, why not? Well, I don't know. Somebody groomed that little boy. Yeah. To react that way. Well, they're called parents or lack of parenting. There you go. And the, but so they're the same people that are going to bitch and complain to a coach that they're trying to get this kid to snap out of that self pity state. But you you can't you can't legislate morality any more than you can legislate courage in a in a football huddle. What you can do, I like what JC said is, did you give it everything you had? Yeah. Hey, just keep doing it. I'm proud of you. And then and then you have to do. Um, consistency over time builds trust. It's not something that comes out straight with my kids. I mean, I remember one time I spanked one of my kids cause he needed to be spanked. I mean, it was like third or fourth grade. I don't know. Somehow the teacher found out about it. And so I'm pulling up, to pick up my kids in the line and I had just gotten back from overseas and I probably smelled bad. And I had, I was pretty hairy and I'm pulling up in line and the teacher walks out with my son and she said, you know, Ryan told me something that I know didn't happen. And I looked at her and she goes, Ryan said that you, you spanked him last night. And I said, well, ma'am, that's not entirely true. I whipped his little ass. I mean, he lied to me. He did something three times that I told him not to do. And so I took my belt off. I sat him down. I explained to him, son, I'm going to spank you on your ass because you're not going to do this and lie. And he stood there and I spanked him and you know what? He, he doesn't do it anymore. You know, my dad spanked me. It's okay. I think as a society, we quit apologizing for being normal, for being who we are. Now, I'm not saying I'd smack him around and I didn't back down from this teacher and go, oh, no, I'll never do that again. I just looked at her and I, was, and I wasn't disrespectful. I said, ma'am, I'm raising, my, I'm raising my child so that if I spank him now, the police won't spank him when he's older. And she just looked at me and she got real quiet. She goes, I wish more parents would do that and make my job easier. I think we, we have fear in society 
that we are afraid that what other people, I told you about, I just got back from New York where I did my podcast a few months ago, walking the street, talking to just everyday folks. And what you're hearing on the media isn't exactly what everyone thinks. It's hardwired into our DNA. That's why we have a great military. If everyone was like what the media said, we wouldn't have Rangers. We wouldn't have the people that we do in the military. We wouldn't have certain folks. We just have to be ourselves. And I think as a coach early on, and JC probably knows a whole lot more about this than me, I think you just meet with the parents, you look them in the eye, and it's not a confrontational thing. It's like, this is my style. This is what I do. I want to develop the best I can for your son and what he can do. And I appreciate you entrusting me with that. Are you going to have parents that get upset? Yeah, sure you are. But, you know, ding the gong, let the butt hurt begin. I mean, you have a responsibility to those kids. And if we have a responsibility as parents, and if we let society, if we let that counterinsurgency prevent us from doing what we should do. I mean, I'm responsible before God to raise men to leave the house. To, to go on in society, you know. I mean, my 15-year-old, my kids love Griff, by the way, JC. Yeah, they, um, who doesn't? They got stuck at the airport. This is what a brother does. They're coming up to Montana. We were up there, and they were flying out to visit us. And when they flew up, they got stuck in Seattle. And the plane was, something happened to the plane, and literally they're going to be in the airport. They couldn't leave. They were underage, 16 hours. And all they could do is use the bathroom and the water fountain. I hadn't talked to Griff in a year and a half. I called Griff. I said, Griff, my kids are stuck at the airport. And he goes, I'm already getting in the car. He drove out there, picked up my kids, took them home. And there was no safe space there. Taught them to drink coffee with butter in it. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, 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 they, and, and my son, Jacob, right now, wants to go to West Point and be a ranger. Because of the interaction with Griff, he was so tough on them. And they said, Dad, it was the coolest thing in the world. He made us get up in the morning and do push-ups. And we drank, what is it, something he had a name for the coffee. And he goes, and it tasted horrible, but we drank it anyway. And, and, and he goes, and he took us back to the airport. And he influenced their lives in just that brief thing. And now they're, they're close to him. They love to talk to him. But they saw a man be a man. And, you know, I think they were 12 years old at the time. And Jacob's already planning, wants to play football for West Point. And the kids a good player. I mean, and he's tough and he, he wants to be a ranger. And, and that's all inspired by not me. That's inspired by someone that took the time to do something. I mean, that's hey, like, let's, yeah, let's that's like but quick. that's like what coaches do. Coaches take yeah. the time to inspire the kids. And I'm telling you, it matters as a parent. And so you yeah. just have to get that across to the parent because they may see their kid act differently. You know. Let's let's throw a plug real quick because you you are talking about somebody who's not on the show right now and um, the the individual that you're talking about Griff he owns or co-owns a, a company that um, all of us on the show know about called Combat Flip Flops. Um, we are not sponsored by Combat Flip Flops. They did not ask for us to speak on their behalf or anything like that. But I think uh, I can speak for the the three of us that it's one remarkable company that's given back on a global scale. Um, they won a deal on the TV show shark tank with Mark Cuban. And they, they've just done stuff that few people can understand. And, and I'm talking about, they, they've taken landmines out of places like Laos and Cambodia. They've provided schooling for Afghan uh, girls 
they, they help out throughout the South America region with indigenous personnel, um, with medical care and so forth. And, and it's just one of those organizations that how they make a penny, I, I don't understand how they can. And to be quite frank, I don't believe that they do. I really genuinely believe everything they make, they give back to society. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, combat flip-flops. Go to the website. Uh, I believe it's combatflipflops.com. Um, but check yeah, them out. Actually, the flip-flops are awesome. In the, yeah, the absolutely. I got a pair of those landmines and make some pretty sick bracelets. And, yeah. and so if you want to get something yeah. unique for your girlfriend or your wife, go there. They have some cool scars. They put some girls through school yep. in Afghanistan and other places, but, and Griff's, I call Griff my ranger hippie. I mean, that's like, yeah. you know, I, but I've been around the world with Griff and I'll tell you, anyone that picks up your kids as tweens who hadn't seen you in almost two years and literally is, you hadn't been on the phone 30 seconds and you can hear him getting into his car is the greatest human being on the planet. And I think on the show, just to segue into that, that's a coach. The coaches is someone who's taking someone that's not their kid and he's investing himself into it. And somehow you have to get that across to a parent as a young person. And I recognize it now. I mean, I'm going to go spend some time with a coach of mine that just had surgery. He's getting up there in age, the one, the Sioux Indian <laughs> that, that he's up, he's up in North Dakota. And you know, it's these guys that, that built into your lives. I don't remember a lot of names of my teachers. I remember all the names of my coaches. And we just have to pass down that heritage. I mean, Rangers do it. My brother's a Ranger. They pass everything down. There's a history there. Coaches, I mean, back when I played, still, they pass things down. I go to Baylor and watch some games. I see how, boy, they get better food than we did. They got better lockers than <laughs> we did. They get everything better than we did. But you know what? It's still the game, and it's a fun game to play. And you want people to have joy when you're out there and competing. And don't let society, we can't let society and any type of insurgency take that from us. And, so, and, and especially our kids. I, I think you're right. And this is, this is what I tell, I tell this to my, my professional athletes, but I always tell it to, to young men. And it was going to be a chapter in my book, but because of some stuff that was going on in the Me Too movement, I was recommend not to include it because what I, what the, 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 tattle, the chapter, was called victims versus casualties. And I tell athletes, you can be a victim or you can be a casualty. Now, we call them casualties in the military for a really good reason. You're well-prepared, you're well-trained, you're well-equipped, and sometimes bad stuff happens. That, that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It just meant Ah, stuff happens because that's what happens in combat. You can make all the right decisions. You can do all the right stuff and bad stuff happens in combat. You're a casualty. You have, when you're a victim, you have no power. Casualties have power over their environment and just bad stuff happens. And then they have power to recover. And we see that with our, with, with, with guests like Earl, right? Uh, an amputee hit an IED he could be a victim and say, oh, well, you know, and he never walks again. But now he's running marathon, four or five marathons. He's doing yeah. Spartan races, right? So, so I tell my guys, look, you just get smacked in the face. Are you a casualty or are you a victim? Victims have no power, right? And, and I'm a believer, and here's where I'll get all the bad comments now. 
I'm a believer yes. that that you know when we look at the Me Too movement and sexual offense, and I know we've done a really large job to get people to understand the victim that a victim's rights, et cetera. But I'd rather they think of themselves as casualties. You can do everything right. You can do everything right. And sometimes somebody's going to do something that's wrong. And you have the power to come back from that and, and, and become a better person and make the world around you better. You may not be, you may be powerless in that minute because bad stuff happens, but you don't have to be a victim because victimhood lasts. It's Casualties, a victimhood man, is a mindset. Go. Casualty yeah. is a situation. Victimhood is a mindset. I mean, you don't have to be a victim. You may be a casualty, but to be a victim is something you have to come into agreement with. And I think that that's brilliant what you said. I think just refuse to be a victim. And just so you know, I've been texting. I, I let uh, Griff know that we were talking about him uh on the podcast and i just texted him i said dude you are the man so many of us love you you know so i i am glad that we were able to 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 talk about him and this and i'm so glad and hopefully i'll tell you what i'd like to do is i'd like to go with you and griff on one of these trips and and take care of people because i think that's that's an important thing that you know it's a lot of fun and again you find the victim versus the casualty i think what that is is and then you know i take my kids on some things, not with team five, obviously, but I've taken them some places because I wanted them to understand what the difference is, how we don't have poverty in our country. The only thing we have in our country poverty wise is a poverty of ideas. We don't have actual poverty. I've, I've worked in the slums in Cairo. I've been in the IDP camps in Iraq, Afghanistan. I work Pakistan. And you know, the irony is I had a, a gentleman who's a plastic surgeon from Pakistan visit me for three weeks. He just left about two weeks ago. And I took him to one of the boys' football games. And we're sitting, it's like, you know, Wednesday night or Thursday night in Texas. It's hot. It's it's an away game. Stadium's, you know, turf field, but it's just two little metal stands. And he's looking around and he looks at me and he goes, there's not a stadium this nice in our entire country. I mean, we're just at some little high school, junior high football game. And he was fascinated by it. And I, and I told my kids when we got home, I said, would you tell my children that? Because I want them to understand the blessings we have in this country. And we don't have to be a country of victims. I talked on my podcast, you know, I did a whole podcast on being a victim because that's the insurgency is to create what I call learned helplessness to where people feel like it's encoded in their DNA that they have nothing to rely on. And that's the insurgency. So let's rely on government. Let's rely on someone else to tell us what to do. And I think sports and football, lacrosse, and all the team sports is a number one deterrent against learned helplessness because it teaches you that you can do more than you thought you can. And that's why I'm very passionate about talking about it. I love it. And, and I, just, I just jotted down learned helplessness. I, I'm, I'm going to start spreading your message because I – I think you're spot on. I think that's it. JC, I'm telling you right now, man, you're going to start, JC, you're going to start becoming one of his biggest podcast subscribers on iHeart and Amazon or Apple's iTunes. I have no idea what I'm doing, JC, when I do it, but it's, but But he, he pulls, he pulls stuff like this out of his tail end all the time. It's like, I know Keith, like, yeah, he's a doctor and he's supposed to be super smart and all, but I know him personally. 
He's not this smart. Where's this coming from? Who's his editor? <laughs> it's God's grace. Hey, look, I had the guy I did residency, one of the, my guys in my plastic surgery residency has been listening to it. He's a popular guy in Dallas. He called me and he goes, who's writing your stuff? And I go, I just talk. And he goes, I know you. You're not that smart. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I know, I'm not. God is just that cool that he just kind of, you know, you open your mouth. and But we all have, you know, look, I tell my kids this. Everybody has a story. Yeah. Um, the learned helplessness, and I, this is kind of raw, but I think it, it's apropos. You know, my daughter graduated from an Ivy League school. I call her my daughter. My wife and I, second marriages, four kids each. We married when they were young. Both had custody of our kids, right? So we have eight. We got the final four or five at the house. Now, I don't remember how many we have. But we just got a house up in Montana. We fly up there. My daughter's graduated from an Ivy League school. We take her up there. And I'm doing the podcast on the back porch of our house, looking at the mountains. And I walk in her bedroom just to bring her coffee and say, morning, baby, you know, try to talk to her. And she was distraught. And I go, what's wrong? And she goes, I'm a woman of color. You don't know how hard my life has been. And I mean, she actually verbalized that to me. And I'm looking at her like, but I changed my whole podcast right there. And I looked at her and I go, baby, you just graduated from an Ivy League school. You have zero debt. You're very smart. You just flew up on a private jet to a nice house. I'm bringing you your coffee. You're looking at the mountains. And my go, name's Dr. Keith Rose. Did no, you forget no, no. This? I just said, I just said, I don't understand why, how you're a victim. And she literally was enraged and started crying. And she goes, you don't know how hard it is for a woman of color. Cause my wife's from Mexico. Yeah. And I looked at her and I go, you're an American. You're not a victim. And, but, I, but it made me think. It's, it's, being, it's the indoctrination you're seeing in colleges today, and it also bleeds into the football. I know guys that I played with that no one ever talked about color, man. No one cared. It's like the military and athletes. Yeah. athletes yeah. No one cared what you were. You'd be a salamander, a unicorn, whatever. But nowadays, I talk to coaches, and they're saying it's a big problem. It's – you got it's like they're trying to institutionalize special interest so that people can you know get everyone at each other's throats and i think sports and coaches have a responsibility the one thing about sports everyone's equal on the field man you're you're just another guy and in the military too when it hits the fan it's you're just a guy doing what you're trained to do period and i and i just pray you know and unfortunately i just spent the last weekend flying my daughter down to rehab in mexico because she believes she's a victim so much and thank god i have a wife that just said you know what i mean she went and lived somewhere else she wasn't with us made some bad choices and then she calls us and my wife's like i'll help you you're going to help yourself but you're not going to go to some nice place here in the united states so we flew her down to mexico and she can't get away so i pray she gets the help she needs but that's what we're seeing today and sports is, and, and let me tell you something, it's on the forefront of the culture war because you have people that have that competitive spirit that enter sports, and that's why they're under attack right now. And if, and, 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 I, and I, hold on, let me, let me, that's, it's not just the schools, it's the sports too. That's where leaders are. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm at with this because we are going to wrap it up. I think coaches today, truly need to step up their game. They are America's counterinsurgency because too many adults, too many parents are swallowing the victimization pill that's being thrown at them. And and in turn, 
they're breaking it apart and spreading it out to their own kids. And sooner or later, coaches are going to have to take a stand and say, look, I'm going to go into your school and I'm going to start recruiting these elementary kids to come back and play recreational sports because mommy and daddy don't want anything to do with it. But I'm going to explain to these kids what sports is about. And I'm going to get permission from the school to do it, blah, blah, blah. And if that means I got to drive eight kids in the back of my pickup truck to get them to practice every day, so be it. Sooner or later, though, those parents are going to realize they're missing out on a fundamental opportunity that these kids are growing in a way they can never imagine because they're being mentored, they're being groomed. And, and it's just one of those things that these kids are growing period. And the parents today are missing out. I mean, they, they, they're, they're not there. A lot of these parents, they're, they're giving them, they're working two jobs so they can provide electronics. So kids can be preoccupied with crap. Well, you know what? I want my kid to be preoccupied with a coach who's going to help shape, mentor, and mold versus Fortnite, you know? And, and really, to close it up, you guys know me well enough. I work in Hollywood, all right? I act. A lot of the crap said tonight was to keep the conversation going to, because it is called coaching the coach. And I am the coach that needs to be coached by key guests that we bring on, like Dr. Keith Rose and my co-host, J.C. Glick. This is about a conversation that I guarantee you there's a coach out there that says, you know what? Screw those guys. Kerry Patton's right. We need to be hard. They're, it's all about winning and forget all that whole, like, hey, we, we got to just coddle to them and, and make sure that, you know, it's all about how good they could do type attitude versus, no, screw that, it's winning. Look, kids are kids. Keith and JC called it perfectly. It's okay to miss the, the ball when you swing when you're at bat. It's okay that you miss a tackle. It's okay that you trip going through the line of scrimmage, even though nobody touched you. Coaches need to understand there's a time and a place to back off. There's a time and a place to use, a, a, you know, an opportunity to teach and to help mentor. And it's at, at the end of the day, it's just a sport, folks. We could teach life lessons. We could teach life skills through sport. But at the end of the day, it's not always about winning yet for us as adults and as coaches we need to recognize we are in a really unique time period in america where sports are on a crazy decline referees are on a crazy decline absolutely. coaches absolutely are on a crazy decline and we're on a crazy decline because too many adults have swallowed the propaganda. If you stand by our side as coaches, if you believe in us as fatherly and motherly figures for an hour or two hours on the field with your kid, then let us do what you believe.
believe in us and what we're supposed to do. But stop feeding these kids the political correct nonsense. Let's take America back one, one, one student athlete at a time. So, ladies and gentlemen. So well, before I, I want I Go want ahead. Keith to, I want Keith to have the last word, but I, but I really I I want to tell you the difference that a coach can make because I think it's apropos. Because before I got on, um, my my son who's a freshman, he's on JV football. He's a he's a right guard, right? And uh, you know, I asked him how he did in his game, and he goes, "We won forty-two to fourteen. I probably played my best game." I said, "That's awesome." Why think your best game? He goes, I held my blocks really well, and we had a good pocket on pass plays. And one of the plays, I put a big dude on me. They put a big dude on me, and I stood him up. I said, that's awesome. That must make you very proud, and you should be. And he goes, yeah, it did make me happy. Also, one of the linebackers was blitzing, and he said, I'm going to smack you. And then I said, look at the scoreboard, and I drove his ass back. <laughs> that is the impact that a positive coach can have on a young man who, you know, does not play in what would people would consider a skill position. But here's a kid who's proud of the pocket pass protection that he had and proud of putting a linebacker on his ass. That's, that's what a coach can do, and that's how you take an insurgency and you turn it around, I think. But, but Doc, I want to hear from uh, you. Uh, JC, we may be related because my son plays right tackle. And he wanted to play defensive end. The coach put him tackle, and I got my text from him. He, he I, did you win? Yes. How'd you do? I got four pancakes, Dad, and blocking. And he was so excited about blocking. And he, and you know, at the beginning of the season, he didn't want to play it, but he wanted to give it everything he had. And I, and the encouragement to the coaches is this: guys, you're planting seeds. You are really creating the next generation of leaders. You may not see it. You may not see the fruit that you're. But I will tell you. I remember Coach Franklin in seventh grade. I remember Coach Thomas in 10th grade. I remember Coach Fred. I remember Coach Taff. I remember all my coaches, Coach Goodman. All these guys had an impact in my life. Coach Bob Fix, to this day, I mean, when Pete Fredberg made it my day and was literally the worst days of my life, there were times later in my life that I was in situations and that I knew I'm, I'm going to make it through because I'm not going to quit. And so the seeds that they're planting, they may not see it. They may not even think their parents see it, but they have the biggest influence on these young men's lives. And my encouragement to them would be to stand for your principles, to do what you know is right, and to not be afraid. Because our kids need to know fear is what an insurgency uses to keep you down. Absence of fear is the way that you do, you defeat it. When a populist is not afraid or when a player is not afraid, he believes anything can be accomplished. So fear is what you want to ignore in yourself and inspire in others. And that's the best way to be. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm not even going to give closing remarks. How do you, how do, how do you after that? I mean, it's just like, okay, yeah. Well, what he said. No, I mean, my boy just texted me. Casey, Casey, this is why this is why he's on iHeartRadio, and we're not. Yeah, right? well, it's, it's clear. No, because iHeartRadio is hard up for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I but, think about many people's airport radar listen or yeah. something, but you know what? But on a on a serious note, man, we, we are out of time, and uh, Keith, you know I love you. 
um, you truly are a brother of mine and, um, your, your wisdom, your tenacity, your, your willingness to open your heart to others is just, it, it is the example in my book. It really is. And, uh, I know you have your own podcast. It's the scalpel with Dr. Keith Rose. We'll put that up on our link as well when we do the description. I know you're very closely affiliated with Team 5 Foundation, so we'll put up a link. Uh, we want people to donate if they can to help out the, the cause with what Team 5 is involved If you don't with. mind me, actually Shadow Warriors is something I'd like people to recognize Absolutely. too. It's Smart Guys Foundation. Yes. And, and it recognizes those guys from the IC, from the intelligence community yep. that a lot of guys from AWG and a lot of former Rangers that worked in there that yeah. do the jobs no one wants to do. And that takes care of their families. And that's honestly, it's the guys that serve and not everyone knows who they are. And I will tell yep. you, most of the guys that I've met overseas all played football. They were all coached. I, honestly. Yeah, I mean, and you know. I know you're, I know you're really close with Mark and I know a little bit about Mark where I, I know he does have a, a sport background. He's got a football background. I know he was a law enforcement officer. Um, and then it, people always think, you know, you're in the military or you contract and then you go into law enforcement. What they really rarely understand is a lot of law enforcement go into the dark world once they are already law enforcement, not reverse. Um, but I need to get a hold of him. Uh, I think I have his contact information still. Um, cause I, he's another guy I think would be interesting to have on this show. Um, but I know your personal, well, we're going to do a fundraiser so. down at our house in November. You're both invited, uh, okay. come on down and hang out. We can do this live. And, uh, yeah, totally. We yeah. have good Mexican food. Cause my wife is a vicious, I mean, my mother-in-law is a, is a chef. I married way over my head. They have a little restaurant. And so I eat well. And my kids I, I eat everything. Lie, JC probably knows. There's like, <laughs> if you don't get to the refrigerator first, it's gone. I mean, it's like, it's not there. I, I know, I know, I know your wife very, very well. And I, and I hope she forgives me when I say this, but if I go down there and I start eating all the food that, um, her, her mom makes, <laughs> I'm probably going to leave my wife and ask her mom to <laughs> where he and you are both going to have to call me Papa from now on. No, I'm never but, calling hey. you Papi We got to close this out guys. Roger. We got to close it out. So, um, team five foundation, shadow warriors.org. I believe it is. Yes. That's it. Warriors.org. Um, and hey, the scalpel with Dr. Keith Rose. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, know. thanks for tuning in. Um, again, as always, we're, we're grateful for our sponsor. It's Z Bones. Z Bones. I just got to get my kids to I give me my Z Bones right back because I don't have a pair. So, JC, I promise you, I have a pair in the mail right now, as of today. I have a pair going to you. I'll take another so, one because I have my kid's not going to give me a pack. He's hitting. You know, you know the same guy I know. If you I know. Want I'll a pair, find another you pair. Go get I know. Him. I got you. But but hey, you know what, Keith? Rather than me explaining why I like Z Bones, which I tell people all the time, look, I got tetanus in my ear. When I put traditional headphones in my ears, it actually it triggers that that ringing in my ear. But when I wear these on the side, on the bone, it, I don't get that trigger. I don't get that buzzing sound um, when I pull the earphones off. But, I mean, you you really are. You're a medical doctor, right? 
can you can you do me a favor? Why is why are Zebo so unique in your own perspective? Because I know you have them, you've used them, you promote them. I, well, I, when I operate, you know, I have to, I, I I take calls while I'm operating, so my cases run long, and so I need to wear wireless. If you put something in your ear, inevitably, I'm moving my head around, looking things like that's going to fall out, even if it's on something. Zebos, I can put them on, put my scrub hat on, they're there, and you know, outside of that, I like to go to the range. And I could put my ear pro on and I could still hear and talk. And that's actually pretty cool because I got, it's, it doesn't keep my ear pro from working. And at the same time, it's just, you got to get used to having that sound in the middle of your head because it's not coming in. And all, anyone that's worn a lot of ear mics know, I mean, you, it sounds really silly and it's not cool, but it packs wax in your ear. So eventually you're having trouble hearing your AirPods or whatever you normally use or caking up. And then you realize you got to, you know, clean your ears out. So I, it, they're cool. And they don't fall off. You can wear a hat with them. You can't see yours. I mean, I'm wearing these big Mickey Mouse ears. And I mean, yeah. you're, you, you know, you just look like, you know. Just like you're, you're talking to idiot that I am. Yeah. No, but, you know, so they're actually, I mean, you know, I, I said this when I was talking about it. They changed the way you hear the world because it's true. Because it's, it, it's, it's like it uses a vibration. And I've been told that, you know, bone mics work really well for talking. I think some of us might have used them at one time or another. And, you know, it's a pretty cool concept and they're not expensive. So I, right. you know, when your kids steal your stuff, you know, you might want to get a pair. Yeah. And I'm going to cut you off right there right. because I don't want you using your promo code because here at <laughs> Coach of the Coach, we have our own promo code. Go to zbones.io forward slash coach. Seriously, go try them out. Get yourself a pair. Again, it's zbones.io forward slash coach jc as always i love having you by my side man it's it's truly a pleasure and it, and it really is refreshing knowing that you're there dr keith rose you are um man you 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 are who you are and i love you for it man. so one of my new heroes husband i'm america's husband one of my new heroes i can tell you that no, right jc is an hey, honor hey, man it's a real JC, honor to meet you I, JC, like, you're not you're not allowed to have him He's mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, I hope you guys have a great day. Seize the day. That's what it's all about. Brought to you in part by the Second Mission Foundation.